I set the boundaries of the ocean vast, carved out the mountains from the distant past, molded a man from the miry clay, breathed in him life, but he went astray. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I write the music for the whippoorwills. Control the planets with their rocks and rills, but give you freedom to use your own will. I hold the waters in my mighty hand. Spread out the heavens with a single span. Make all creation tremble at my voice. But my own sons come to me by choice. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I write the music for the whippoorwills. Control the planets with their rocks and rills, but give you freedom to use your own will. Even the oxen know the master's stall. And sheep will recognize the shepherd's call. I could demand your love, I own you twice, but only willing love is worth the price. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I write the music for the whippoorwills. Control the planets with their rocks and rills, but give you freedom to use your own will. And if you want me to, I'll make you whole. I'll only do it though if you say so. I'll never force you, for I love you so. I give you freedom. Is it yes or no? I give you freedom. Is it yes or no? Revelation chapter one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Going to read verses four through eight. Revelation chapter one. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, from him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is 
and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. I titled this message, Christ, Our Coming King. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that is ours to be gathered together here this morning. Thank you, Father, for the word of God that we can read and study, hide in our hearts that we might not sin against thee. Father, we thank you that you are the sovereign God who doeth all things well. Yet in your love and your mercy, you have given us a choice. Father, help us to be surrendered to your will. That we might know thee, the only true God, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The revelation, of course, revelation means revealing. It is really the, the revelation or the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Probably more than any other book of the Bible, it reveals to us who Jesus really is. Uh, you know, as you read through the Gospels, you'll see him as a as the suffering Savior, dying for the sins of humanity. And when you come to the to the Revelation, we not only see him as the Savior, but we see him as the Almighty, the Omnipotent One, the everlasting God, the faithful and witness. Uh, the first begotten of the dead, all these things. Uh, he's, 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 he's also the judge. Uh, if you read on in this passage, it talks about the, how it describes him in verses 14. Uh, his, hair, his head and his hairs were like white like wool and white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like under fire, fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as a sound of many waters. So we really see him for who he really is. So as we think about Christ, who is our coming king, is still yet future, but he is coming. I want to look at three things this morning from this passage. First of all, the, pa- the person of Christ. Then we're going to look at the passion of Christ, and that's not a movie. The word passion means suffering or affliction. Uh, the passion of Christ, and then the position of Christ. So let's consider, first of all, the person of Christ. Uh, as we think about the person of Christ, I have three things here I want to mention. First of all, this passage shows us, as we think about the person of Christ, that he is one of the Trinity. It, it shows us the Trinity, uh, those who, who make up what we call the Godhead. Uh, you notice it says in verses 4 and 5 again, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from, which, from him which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. So, the, you know, and he uses that terminology, which is, which was, and is to come, in verse 8 also. But in verse 8, it's referring to God the Son. In verse 4, it's referring to God the Father. As you notice again, he says, which is, which was, and which is to come. And the seven spirits start before them, and Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, of course, we are we are what we call Trinitarians. Uh, Paul, the Bible speaks of the Trinity in other places. Of the Bible, and the Trinity is 
the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, these three are one, co-equal, co-eternal. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said, right in the church at Corinth, Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So there he speaks of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then chapter 2, verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Uh, for what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. And, of course, then in our passage, it speaks of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, when you think about it, the Holy Spirit here, it says the seven spirits. That's not seven different spirits. It's speaking about the, the completeness of the Spirit. Uh, Isaiah, go to Isaiah just, just for a minute. Isaiah chapter 11 is where that reference is. Isaiah 11. Verse 2, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So he is the Spirit of the Lord. He is the self-existent one. He's the Spirit of wisdom uh, that speaks of skill, ability to discern. Uh, the Spirit of understanding. He's the Spirit of counsel. Uh, he's also the Spirit of might. And he's the spirit of knowledge and the spirit and of the fear of the Lord. So there's seven, the seven, uh, uh, sevenfold reference there to the spirit of God or the completeness of the spirit. And, of course, Jesus Christ, who's described again in verse 8 as the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, Jesus Christ is... As much God as God the Father is. And the Holy Spirit is as much God as God the Father is. These, the, the three are equal and they are one. In fact, that word almighty is used in other places. For example, in 2 Corinthians 6.18, it says, And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. They are referring to the Father. But in Revelation 4, 8, referring to the Son, it says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And again in Revelation eleven seventeen, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Clear reference to Christ. And again, Revelation 19.6, we know this, is a refer this passage is a reference to Christ. And it doesn't use the word almighty, it uses the word omnipotent. It says, and I heard as it were the voice of the great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. So, so we see here the Trinity displayed for us, uh, the Father, the Son, all the Holy Spirit, and 1 John 5, 7 says, I don't care what the liberals say, this verse belongs in the Bible. 1 John 5, 7 says, these three are one. So, he shows us the Trinity. He is part uh, uh, Christ is part of the Trinity. We see also he's referred to as the faithful witness. In verse 5 it says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful 
witness. Uh, when it describes him as a faithful witness, uh, it speaks of his reliability, his faithfulness. It speaks of truth, even unto death. The word witness there, by the way, is, is the word Greek word from which we get our word martyr. It's used in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Ye shall be witnesses. The word is martyr unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and other most part of the earth. So, so he is a faithful witness. Uh, I'm going to go down a rabbit trail here. But go to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 and uh, verse uh, 1. Isaiah 55, verse 1. It says, Ho! Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. And then notice verse 3. So he's not really talking about physical food. Notice verse 3 says, Incline your ear. Come unto me, hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Uh, In John chapter 4, verse 14, when Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman, he said unto her, uh, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So he was saying, you know, he was a faithful witness, and I, I have the water of life. John 7, verse 37 38. Uh, again, he said, The last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake, he of the, of the Spirit, which they that believe in him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So here is this faithful witness saying, you know, come unto me and I will give you living water. Living water. And he is a faithful witness. He never uttered a false word. You know, Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2.22, who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. You know, everything he said was true. In John 5, verses 30 to 32, he said, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness that he witnesseth of me is true. You see, he is is not only the second person of the Trinity, but he is the faithful witness. John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, he is the faithful witness. But he's also the Messiah. Notice verse 7 says, 
Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. And of course, you, you also verse five, then to verse 5 said, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He is, the, he is also the Messiah. He was the one who was pierced. He's the one who was pierced. It was prophesied that he would be pierced. In Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. Verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me, whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him, as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Chapter 13 of Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 6 again. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then shall he, he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house. Of my friends. You see he was the one. That was pierced. And when Peter gets up and preaches. On that day. On the day of Pentecost. His first. Very first message. In Acts chapter 2. In verse 36 he said this. Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely. That God hath made that same Jesus. Whom you crucified. Both Lord and Christ. Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. See, he is. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the faith witness. He's the Messiah. And that same one who is coming back was taken up. He was taken up. And in fact, when he was taken up, the angel said, you shall see him come in like manner as you see him go. So we see here the person of Christ. He is the God-man. He is the Messiah, the faithful witness. Let's notice also the passion of Christ. Again, I'm not talking about that blasphemous movie Hollywood made. The word passion is used, it's actually a Bible word. It's used in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, verse 3 where it says that he was seen alive after his passion. And it means after his suffering or after he was afflicted. You know, he was, of course, suffered for us. So as we think about the passion of Christ here in Revelation chapter 1, we want to, again, notice through three things. And I have them really nice alliterated for you. Loved us, loosed us, and lifts us. That's not original with me. But anyway, I thought it was pretty good, so I copied it. Yes, he loved us. He loosed us and lived us. Notice verse 5 again. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now this person of Christ loved us. He loved us. 
You know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loved us. In John 6 and verse 33, he said, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth his life unto the world. In verse 51, he said, I am that living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. He says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. He loved us and laid down his life for us. In John 15, verse 12, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, God so loved the world, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, Isaiah 53, 10, 11 describes for us what propitiation is. Let's go over there for a minute. Isaiah 53. You've been reading that, hopefully memorizing that. But this, I believe, really gives us a Bible picture of what propitiation is. Verse 10, Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. See, the righteousness of God was satisfied by the sacrifice of his son. You know, I can't quite imagine the father seeing he will see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Hey, dads, think of your own son suffering for another. To pay the penalty for another. But that's what Jesus did for us. He loved us. He loved us. And the Bible says he loves us with an everlasting love. But you notice the second thing. Not only did he love us, 
but he loosed us. Verse 5 there says, He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The word washed, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, means this, Who by suffering the bloody death of a vicarious sacrifice cleansed us from the guilt of our sins. You know, vicarious means substitutional. So, so who, by, who, who by suffering the bloody death of a vicarious sacrifice cleansed us from the guilt of our sin? In other words, he's washed us or he's loosed us from the penalty of our sin and the guilt of our sin. We are justified, declared righteous by God. No wonder Romans 1, 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, 14 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews 10.2 For then would they not cease to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. I like what Hebrews 10.17 says. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. See, God really loved us, but he's loosed us. He's washed us from the guilt and penalty of our sin. And he remembers it no more. And we can have daily cleansing. First John 1, 7 says, But as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So he's loved us. He's loosed us. But he's also lifted us. Notice verse 6 again. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. You see, the passion or the suffering of Christ has not only uh, uh, loosed us from our sins, but it's lifted us and given us a new name, a new nature, a new position to those that receive him. Look, if you will, at uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you. you know, so he's talking here to the Philippians. And he's, and he's giving them an example of Christ. And so they could uh, follow in his, in his example, so to speak. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, so Christ has been exalted, but not only has he been exalted, if we receive him as our Lord and Savior, we are exalted also. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Romans eight sixteen, The Spirit itself beareth witness to our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. See, if we suffer with him, if we know him as our Lord and Savior, we suffer with him, we're going to be glorified together. Ephesians 2, verse 4. God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. He's made us he, or he has raised us up together, and notice it says, made us sit together in heavenly places. That's present tense. If I understand English, and I've got a lot of English scholars in this room, so I can't get away with it if I'm, if I'm not right. But if I understand English, that is present tense. He's made us sit together in heavenly places. As far as God is concerned, our redemption is complete. When Paul writes to all the churches, what does he call them? Saints. Saints. Of course, when he's referring to their being glorified together and, and, and that in the ages to come, I believe he's referring to what we read about in Revelation. For example, look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. If you're saved today and you go up in the rapture, that's part of the first resurrection. And we will be kings and priests with God and reign with him a thousand years. 
of chapter 21. And I heard a great voice, verse 3. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. See, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. Who is he that overcometh? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, First John 5 tells us. But verse 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and sorcerers, whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. See, those that humble themselves and receive him will inherit all things. They're going to share in his glory. But those who fear man and pride and stubbornness hang on to their own ways, their own will, their own ambitions, their own abominations, will inherit the lake of fire. A tragedy so unnecessary. Because he loved us. And offered himself a sacrifice for our sins. That we might be lifted out of the miry clay and have our sins washed in his own blood. So we see the person of Christ. We see the passion of Christ. Then I'll show thirdly, the position of Christ. The position of Christ. He's described here in several ways. Uh, first of all, he's described as the first begotten. In uh, verse 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. Uh, first begotten, or first to resurrect from the dead. As we think about that, go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The, wor- the words first begotten is used, seems to be interchangeably with the word firstborn. Uh but Colossians 1.15 says this, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So, so he's the first begotten from the dead. He's the firstborn. It makes special reference to the fact that he is the first to rise from the dead to die no more. But it's more than that. As we think about this firstborn, a book I have called Manners and Customs said this. It speaks, uh, the firstborn speaks of, number one, headship. Notice the verse again in verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. 
So he's the head of this body. He's the head. It speaks of authority. Matthew 28, 18. What did Jesus say? Just before he was descended back to the Father, he said, All power, notice, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Authority. It also speaks of a special claim to his Father's blessing. It speaks of divine perfection. Three times there was a voice came from heaven which said, This is my beloved Son. Matthew 3, 17, 17, 5, and John 12, 28. Kind of a, you know, Joseph was a type. He was his, he was, uh, Joseph was a type uh, of Christ in this, that in fact that, that he was the beloved of his Father. The special. He was special to his Father. But fourthly, it speaks also of priesthood, of priesthood. You know, like Bradley was saying, he was talking to a Catholic, and the guy said, you know, they have this new cathedral, and they have a priest there 24-7, so you can go confess your sins through a knothole to a knothead. Uh, but no, we have, a, we have a high priest that we can go directly to, and his name is Jesus. Hebrews 4, 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heaven, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, was all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know, we have a high priest that, that was tempted like us, but never sinned. I mean, these poor people are going to a priest who's a sinner just like they are. So he invites us, therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. We may turn, may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So he is the firstborn or the first begotten. It speaks of preeminence. It speaks of superiority. It speaks of priority. You know, it's interesting, in the Gospels, after the resurrection, Jesus used this phrase on several occasions, go tell my what? Brethren, he calls us brethren. You know, in a sense, he's our elder brother. He's the firstborn of the family. He's the preeminent one. You know, to, to us, this don't mean a whole lot today because because of the way you know inheritance is maybe given out. But in, in Old Testament times, this was very significant. Because the oldest was passed on to the oldest was the priesthood like of the family, the head of the family. He had all the authority of the family. The oldest did. He had the double portion. So he was preeminent. He was superior. He had the priority. And that's who Christ is. He's the first begotten. But not only is he the first begotten, he's the prince of the kings. Of the earth. Now, it doesn't appear that way right now. But one of these days it's going to be. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And I want to take you 
through a little story here. I'm going to read this entire chapter. It's not really that long. It says, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. And the one you see sitting on the throne here is, is God the Father. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. And hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we, sh- and, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in the heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that in them, all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Now this is an interesting passage of scripture. But here you have a scene in heaven that John sees after he's caught up. And he sees this scene of the Father sitting on the throne with this book, sealed book. And they say, who is worthy to open it? And no man's found. Until the line of the tribe of Judah, the lamb slain. Only he has the power, the authority open the book. Now what's the book? See, I believe that this book is the title deed, so to speak, of the earth. Only the Lord Jesus Christ has the power and the authority to judge the God of this world. And that's what the seals of this book are. Chapter 6 starts immediately, and he opened the first seal, and it keeps on going. These seals are judgments, and he's beginning to pour out his judgments. God's beginning to pour out his judgments upon the kings of this earth, and ultimately he's going to judge Satan and cast him into the lake of fire. Now, to understand this, we have to go back to the Garden of Eden. Who did God give dominion over the earth? He gave that to Adam and Eve. Two times. Genesis 1, 26. 
28. God gave dominion over the earth. That means to rule over it. But by their sin, they surrendered that dominion to Satan. Who is now called, he's called the prince of this world, John 14.30. He's called the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He's called the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. 2. And in 1 John 5.19 it says, the whole world lieth in wickedness. And the word picture there is, it lieth comfortably in the lap of Satan. He is the god of this world. He offered Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. Because they are his. But what we have here is a picture when Christ will take back the dominion. Because, what does Genesis 3.15 tell us? He will bruise the head of the serpent. And he will judge all the kingdoms... of this world, and this is what this book is about. From Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 19, uh, Revelation chapter, to the end of the book, really, to chapter 20, he's judging all the kingdoms of this world. And he's taking back dominion of it. This is a glorious picture we have here in Revelation 5. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. It may not appear that way right now. Men may blaspheme his name now. But there will come a day when they will blaspheme no more. Because he is the prince of the kings of the earth. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 verse 13 to 16, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who for Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, Thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times, speaking of that which has come, he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. It isn't the Pope who is the potentate. It's Jesus Christ who is the potentate. The King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Oh, it's going to be a glorious day when he rules as prince of the kings of the earth. So he's not only the first begotten, he's the prince of the kings of the earth. And one of these days, he's going to bring judgment upon the kingdoms of this world. He will rule and reign. If you know Christ, you rule and reign with him. But notice one final thing. He is also, he is the omnipotent, everlasting God. Verse 8 says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. You know, I was reading one commentary, and they say, how do, you describe, how do you describe him? He is he who rules the past, the present, and the future. He's the Alpha and Omega. That's the first. The Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last word, letter of the Greek alphabet. 
So he's the, he's the beginning and the ending. He's everything in between. And he's everything before and everything after. You know, omnipotent means that he is, his power is unlimited. And to think, you know, it's a little mind-boggling to me. I don't know, maybe you can wrap your brain around this. To think that that same person submitted himself to becoming a man. And allowed himself to be killed. Jeremiah 10.10 says, But the Lord is a true God. He is a living God, an everlasting king. At his wrath the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Daniel 4.3 How great are his signs! How mighty are his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And I read this verse before, Revelation 19, 6, And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. You see, his power and his authority is, it un, is unlimited. He is the omnipotent, everlasting God. He is Jehovah. This is our Christ. This is our Christ. He's our coming king. He'll either be your king or he'll be your judge. If you submit to him now, he'll be your king. If you resist him, he may be your judge. Romans 13, I know it's talking about government authorities, but it says this, Resist the power, they that resist the power receive to themselves damnation. But if you submit to the power, you'll have praise of the same. That's true of God also. If you submit to his power and his authority, you'll have praise of him. If you resist him, you'll receive to yourself. Damnation. So is he your king? Or is he your judge? We see his person. We see his passion. We see his position. He loves us. He loved you. He suffered for you. And I, today is the day, now is the time to say yes or no. Which is it? King or judge? Christ, our coming king. Are you prepared?